she was my favorite. I always wanted what she had. Do you think it's possible? I don't know about you, but that's a great question to be asked. And it was just a few short minutes, the preacher said, that that gentleman became a beneficiary of his grandmother's legacy of faith. Then he said, and it's so true, there is no greater gift you can give to your family members than leave them a legacy of faith. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul reminds his young protege that the unfeigned faith which he possessed resided first in his grandmother, Louis, and then in his mother, Eunice. That's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. So you can turn there this morning because it's going to be the focus and the attention of our, our message this morning. But the preacher went on and he said they had passed on to him a legacy of faith. It's impossible to give something away you don't originally possess. And so these women possessed it. As personal as salvation is, there is a sense in which we receive it as a gift ourselves. And it's uh, passed along from God to us by others. Paul was reminded Timothy of his spiritual roots. And then he told a story. He said, one winter, while away from home on our annual time together, my wife and I had a serious talk about what we most desired to leave our children. We both decided as we talked this through that the most important treasure we could pass along would be a legacy of faith. In fact, these words are recorded in my journal. My greatest desire is that I would be a living illustration of God's faithfulness to those who are simply willing to take him at his word. Before we returned home from that trip, we received word that our house had burned to the ground. Lost everything. We thought it very interesting in light of our discussion we had that not one thing was lost in that fire we felt crucial for our children to inherit. We saw, in fact, that the manner in which we responded had the potential for even increasing the inheritance we wanted them to receive. A legacy of faith. Then he told more about his father. He said, or his family, my grandfather was a preacher who in his early days was a hard-hitting, Bible-thumping, barnstorming, brush-arbor exhorter of the brethren. He preached up and down the border between Arkansas and Oklahoma. He often stirred such controversy that, and he's used the word posses, had to be called out to protect him. My grandmother, on the other hand, was a quiet and gracious lady, but she was the greatest soul winner I ever knew, leading dozens to the Lord to the very year of her death. When my grandparents were in their 80s, I began pastoring a small country church in a town near where they lived. And generally, as I made my way back to college on Sunday evenings, I would stop by their home with a carload of friends. And there my grandparents would fix a late-night snack and talk about the Lord. It is impossible to relate just how formative those discussions were for my friends and me. We always left with full stomachs, prayer, and encouragement. My grandparents were determined that their later days would be their greatest days, and they were... 
Look, here was a preacher who had been given a great legacy of faith, starting with his godly grandparents, passed on to his parents, instilled in him. And then he and his wife had sought to do the very same thing. What a challenging illustration of the truth, which is in our text today, when Paul said these words, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. On this Mother's Day, I hope there will be couples who will be dedicated to the task of leaving a legacy of faith. I hope there will be Christians dedicated and concerned about others enough to seek to leave a legacy of faith with those they influence and impact in life because everyone impacts someone. So the challenge is for everyone today, moms, dads, children, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter what relation you have to your family, there's faith you can share, you ought share. And may we be determined to leave that legacy of faith. Let's pray. Father, please open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to the truth of this passage, to the things that we need to learn about faith and how to leave a legacy of faith. And I pray that you would stir hearts today. If there be any here without faith, that today would be the day of salvation. Those who have faith, may we be determined, Lord God, to share it and to live such a life that's going to have an impact on others. And I will thank you, Lord God, for what you'll do and how you'll help us to better understand your truth this morning and this very simple and yet very important verse in Scripture that teaches us so many things to learn. And I will thank you for what you'll do and how you'll honor your name today and be glorified through the preaching of your word and I'm asking you for strength this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four truths. There are four observations about faith that are, can be gleaned from this simple verse. Um, whether, again, you're a mom, a dad, a child, or just an individual, whether you have family or not, that you're uh, people that you're trying to rear up in the fear of God or not, there are things to be learned from this very basic and very straightforward verse. First truth of four is that faith ought to be shared. Faith ought to be shared. Faith is intended to be shared. Now, you might think that this point I'm making is simply stating what happened in the family setting, and that actually is true because it talks about the grandmother first having it and then the mother having it and then Timothy having, having faith. But that actually is the, in the, isn't the point I'm trying to make. It goes beyond that. So let me explain. It's obvious that Paul, who was a very close, uh, in fact, just like Timothy, like a father loved a son. They had a father-son relationship. Remember that story talked about that. He, he, he would be called in our day, Paul, uh, Timothy's mentor. But he also would be called almost like his father because he cared for him like that. And he shared many very personal and very intimate things as he talked with Timothy about his life and his ministry and what he was supposed to do. That's what these two books are about. But what is interesting is that uh, as Paul, who loves this young man, is thinking about his life and thinking about, uh, and thinking about what made him what he is and thinking about that relationship they had together, uh, he, it's precious because he's thinking, you know, there's a reason why Timothy is what he is. Here's the reason why Timothy is what he is, because he had a mother who did what she needed to do, and because he had a grandmother who did what, what she needed to do. But I want you to think about this. 
Where did it start? And the first point is not that faith ought to be shared within your family. The first point is if people don't share their faith, there's no opportunity for families to influence one another and reach generations for Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that. You know, who led grandma to Christ? We're not told. Is it really important to the story? Not necessarily, because we're going to focus on, in the next three points, what actually took place and some of the things we learn about faith. But there's something to be said about the fact that someone was a witness. There's, a, if you would, a great lesson about family witnessing, but there's a silent message here about witnessing just in general. Because someone, somewhere, at some time, took time to share with Grandma Lois gospel. And she got saved. Where was that? I mean, we could do all sorts of speculation today. We could make a good story up. I'm sure you would be really convinced and maybe think it was wonderful to hear the story. Uh, the fact of the matter is, we don't know, but here's what we do know. Someone took time to share the gospel with this lady, and as a result, three generations were affected. So this morning, the challenge goes out to everyone in this room. See, if you know Christ as Savior, you have something to share with other people. And understand this. <clears throat> hey, your work of sharing the gospel, <clears throat> your work of taking time to share with someone their need for Jesus Christ may very well impact generations to come. Last week, on Sunday morning, I received a, a, a text from my sister. I think it's from my sister. Uh, sent to, to my, my brothers and myself. And uh, here was the comment that one of, uh, Laura, I think it was, one of my nieces is in college, and as she was in college, um, talking with the supervisor of her dorm and of her floor, uh, the supervisor of the dorm said this. She said to, to Lacey, Laura, sorry. I, oh, it's Lacey. Okay. It's one of her. My brother has 18 million. <laughs> it was one of the one of the eighteen million kids that my brother had. Anyway, um, uh, she she said to her the ladies who was in charge said this: "It's my spiritual birthday today, and um, your grandma will let me to the Lord." My mom had a, a legacy of of faith in this. and said, this past week, he talked to a gentleman and said, your dad led me to the Lord. Now, Paul travels all over as an evangelist. You know that. We hear the call. And as he's traveled all over the country, he's met people that have been impacted and had, or had been heard about people who have been saved because, because my parents came to faith in Christ and took time to share Christ with others. And the point I want you to get this morning is, is not so much in this first point, family, as much as being a witness for Jesus Christ. Because if families are going to be one, and generations are going to be impacted, someone, somewhere, at some time, has to share with that family the faith. And thank God someone did. So that we can read in the Bible that Grandma Lois... Word 
diamond had a witness and an impact upon mother Eunice and that she had impacted Timothy. Timothy had been reared in a godly home all because someone took the time to witness. And I thought about that. It was wonderful to receive that, that text and just to ponder that last Sunday morning and to, to realize that my parents, who had a concern and a burden for people who were lost, were one to Christ. My pastor had a burden and a concern for someone who was lost, who came out in the middle of a snowstorm when no one came to church on Wednesday night to witness to my parents because no one came to church, but he was going to go out in the snowstorm anyway. And he sat down with them and shared the gospel and they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was all because someone outside of a family cared enough to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. So this morning, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, you and I get a challenge about being a, a witness, being a missionary for Jesus Christ. Because somewhere, somewhere down the line, someone won that grandmother to Jesus Christ because they took the time to share their faith. Here's the point. If there is faith shared in a family, it's because, wow, did it get loud? Did I not, do I not have this on? I mean, it just got really loud. Do I have it on? I don't have it on, do I? It died. Thank you very much. I shouldn't introduce. Oh, I interrupted everything. All right, here's the point. If there's faith shared in a family and generations are saved, it happened because someone took time. A preacher shared this. He said a few, um, he said a few years back I was invited to speak at John Brown University. I was not acquainted with the school and wanted to know a little about the place and people, and so I asked the chaplain to send me information. I discovered John Brown had been a traveling evangelist on the sawdust trail during the early and middle part of the 20th century. Based primarily in the south, he had ranged as far west as California. He had saved many lost. He had admonished believers. At some point, he started a school in Arkansas. And the preacher wrote, I'll admit to a flicker of condescension when I read this sketch of John Brown's life. I'm old enough to have witnessed a tent meeting or two. I also have known about institutions dominated by a personality or an eccentric founder, sometimes well after the founder has passed on. So I didn't make sweeping judgments, but in the back of my mind, I prepared myself for the possibility that I would be in a backwater place with people not quite as up-to-date as I was, because that was what I presumed from what I read and what I thought and what I learned about him. Shortly before leaving for Arkansas, I was talking on the phone with my father. He asked me what I was up to, and I said, I'm going to John Brown University. He said, my father said, oh, yes, John Brown. Your grandfather, Nick, was saved under John Brown. It was one of those moments when God reveals to you in great clarity how stupid you are, he wrote. My father then told me a story I had never heard. My grandfather, Nick, had left a crowded, troubled home in Indiana when he was 15 or 16, shortly before World War I. He had nowhere to go. He jumped on a freight train and headed west. He ended up in Los Angeles. He was lonely. He had no direction in life. And one night, he wandered by a revival meeting led by John Brown. He went in, and there he met God. He became a Christian. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he began a personal 
relationship with God that directed and changed his life. So much so that he later looked for a Christian woman to marry. And they chose to raise their only child, my father, as a Christian. And he chose a Christian woman to marry. And they chose to raise me and my brothers as believers in Jesus Christ. So I discovered that this man, John Brown, who I had pigeonholed as someone of no relevance to my life, was in fact an important link in the chain to my own salvation. And it was a story I needed to hear. I didn't just hear this story. I accepted it. I made it part of who I was and how I thought about myself. John Brown was the tool God used to start a legacy of faith in my home. I told you about the pastor just a moment ago who started a legacy of faith in the middle of a a snowstorm, Pastor Ralph Williams, who's passed on, but who not only led my parents to Christ, but grounded them in the faith and taught them how to be good parents. But it all started because Someone took the gospel to my mom and my dad so that they could take the gospel to me. And I want to ask you this morning to be concerned about people around you because there are families that can be won and maybe generations that can be won if you'll take the time to share the gospel with them. And sometimes we may... some we may never see the results that Paul could look back at and say, look at what's happened. But please understand this. There is no Timothy if there isn't someone leading that grandmother to Jesus Christ and winning the first person in that family. So keep doing the job of sharing the gospel. Truth number two, that we can glean about faith. This may be a bit scary, but it's true. Faith can be faked. Oh, that's profound, isn't it? Look at what it says. When I call to remembrance thee, what's the next two words? Unfeigned faith. It's interesting that he would make that statement because throughout the Bible, when you see faith, it usually stands alone. In other words, you'll just see someone had faith. Someone believed God. Someone trusted God. Someone um, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you'll just see the word faith and very rarely do you see a word added to it in, in, in describing it. But what he says here is rather interesting because what he saw in Timothy wasn't feigned. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it comes from two Greek, Greek words. It's a compound word. I know you love hearing that. And the, the first word means not. And the second word, not pretend or false. Now, that's profound. That's very deep, isn't it? It's not pretend. It's not false. You know this word is found unfeigned six times in the Bible. Six times in the Bible. Six times in the Bible. Three times when it's used to describe love and it talks about fake or unfeigned or pretend love. People can be phonies in love. Oh, you've had you've had a relative come up and he's really awkward, right? And he just gave you a big hug and told you how much they love you and you knew. been in places like that where people fake love. People can fake love. Um, two other times, three times it's used that way, two other times it's used in regard to faith. It talks about fake faith, only found in the book of Timothy, by the way, in, in the two books. We'll look at the other one shortly. And then one other time it's used in regard to wisdom. And it's not used exactly in the same sense as it is, is in this verse. 
But the idea is this. Look, he had a, a, a faith that was real. You know, it's possible to be a phony in love. It's possible to be a phony in the area of faith. Some people put on a good show. And they fool people. And I don't want to be naive enough to think that that couldn't happen in a church like ours. That there may be people who have played church all their lives and think that they're part of the family of God because, well, you know what? I grew up in a good family and I heard the Bible all my life. And because, hey, because I've tried to be a good person myself and I've patterned my life after what my parents taught me. But the truth of the matter is if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're a phony. And you need to be saved and become part of his family. Because faith can indeed be faked. And if you don't believe that's true, then all I've got to mention is one name, Judas. And you say, oh, yeah, everyone knew Judas was a phony. Well, you and I do. But do you know that even when Judas left to betray Jesus Christ, no one, no one of the disciples, the other disciples, thought Judas was a phony. They all thought he was the real thing. They thought he was genuine. He faked them all out. It, it was later they found out. Now, you know, throughout Scripture, you find people who are, who are phonies. In fact, a number of times, Paul talks about people that, that had a, a false faith. Listen to Acts 20, 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, you say, well, that doesn't talk about people within the church. But he says in verse 30, these words, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Do you know what he said? From in, within the church, from among God's people, there would be men who would, who would seek to deceive and draw people away from Jesus Christ. They were phonies. You see, the truth is, in the history of the church, there have always been people who have put on a good show, and most people would think they're fine Christians, just as every one of the disciples thought Judas was a fine Christian who loved God. But they're putting on a show, and those people need to be challenged about the fact that your faith needs to be real, not something that you... You can say, well, or, or, or something that you've kind of imagined up or, or dreamed up in your mind, but you know that there's been a time in your life you realize you were a sinner, Christ died for your sins, and you put your faith and trust in him. And if you don't know that, you need to settle that important thing. There is nothing more important than that. And quite honestly, to put on a show is only to deceive yourself and spend an eternity in hell. And so I ask you this morning, do you have a real faith? Are you a professor or a possessor of eternal life? It's not enough to just claim it. You need to have it and be part of the family of God. Now, I'm not here to try to convince someone that they're not saved, but I am here to say that if you don't know for sure that you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior, there is nothing more important today for you, nothing you could do in this entire day that would be more important than your coming to faith in Jesus Christ and stop living a lie. And Paul pointed out the fact that Timothy had a real faith. A few years back in a letter to a columnist, 
It was the columnist's name was Carolyn Hacks. In the Washington Post, a lady wrote a letter. And she asked a question, or she actually kind of made a statement, but that statement was answered by this Carolyn Hacks. The mother said, I am a stay-at-home mother of four. I've tried to raise my family under the same strong Christian values I grew up with. Therefore, I was shocked when my oldest daughter, Emily, suddenly announced she had given up believing in God and decided to come out as an atheist. Now, there's a number of interesting things about her letter and about her statement. First of all, she's writing to a pagan, a pagan lady who doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ, who writes for a newspaper that, quite frankly, doesn't understand or comprehend faith in any way. So I, I really wonder whether this lady understood at all the matter of Christianity. You say, well, you're being critical. Well, actually, quite honestly, the preacher who told that story uh, asked the same thing. Is this woman's faith unfeigned? He asked. He said she, uh, he, here's was his statement. She said she tried to raise her family under the same strong Christian values she grew up with. Well, the pastor said, was her belief in Christian values. Is someone saved because you go to church and you have good standards? Now, this girl might have just been a rebel who chose to reject her mother's faith, which, by the way, the lady didn't say that at all. The lady wrote back to this woman in this editorial response, basically saying something like, she's not rejecting you. She just has just come to herself and basically praised this girl for having the guts to do what she did. But putting that all aside, the question is whether this lady had a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and whether it was evident or not. And that is something that we look at in this passage and we say, what a testimony. These three people all had faith on faith. They had real faith. Okay, so do you have real faith? Are you truly part of the family of God? Not because of what you've done, not because you're attending church, not because you're, you're a, a, a good person, not because you've had parents who were saved and part of the family of God, but because you came to a point in your life where you realized your need for Jesus Christ because you're a sinner and you trusted his shed blood as payment for your sin. No more important question for you to answer today than that one. Third point, faith ought be observed. Isn't that what verse 5 is about? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, I observe it. Paul could say about these three people in this household, they had real faith. Now, how did he know that? Okay, this is interesting because we, we talk all the time about salvation not being by works, and it's not. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one will be able to boast when they get to heaven. Well, look at what I did. This is why I'm in heaven. I'm a good person. I've tried to live a good life. I've done this, and I did that, and I gave to this, and I gave to that, and I was part of this, and I served in this way. No, look, none of those things matter at all. But when Paul said, and when Paul shares here that their faith was observed, or that they had real faith, what did he mean and how could he say that? If faith doesn't, or, or if faith isn't in works, then how in the world did he know? Can belief be observed? The answer is yes and no. It really is. 
know in the sense that faith is something an individual does in his heart and it can't be observed. But faith in God ought lead to a change in life that can be observed. In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, the Bible is so clear. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. It has nothing to do with works. Abraham was not saved by works. Abraham was saved because he believed God. And he goes on and talks very clearly in the book of Romans over and over. But do you know in the verses that we shared in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 just a few moments ago, that when we read that salvation has nothing to do with works, God said in verse 10 of that same passage, right after saying, not of works, lest any man should boast, he said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So listen, you're not saved by your works, but your works tell people around you about your faith. They do. They reveal and say in, in, in a very obviously a very real way whether you've become part of the family of God. They do. And so the question to ask this morning yourself is, the, the, is your faith showing? Is your faith showing? Can it be observed by others? A faith that is not seen is a useless faith as far as the world is concerned. Now here's a good question. Is it possible to have faith and people not see it? And the answer to that question is yes. Lot is an Old Testament example of that fact. And you say, well, he was Old Testament, and that was a little different situation than New Testament. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is the New Testament proof of that fact. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible talks about the fact that we'll all give account before God and we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians, but he's talking about the judgment seat there. And our works will be tried by fire. And the Bible says that some people who are believers, their works will all be burned up. But do you know what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? They'll be saved, yet so as by fire. So the fire's going to try every man's works. Is the man saved by works? No. Because it's obvious in that passage that, that there are some believers, some people who have faith in Christ, who never show it in their life. But I'll tell you something, a faith that is not seen is a troubling thing. And quite honestly, God is not pleased with that. So how is genuine faith known? I am glad you asked that question. Take a moment and look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I told you we'd see another place where faith unfeigned is mentioned, and it's mentioned here, the only other time in the Bible. Now, the end of the commandment, verse 5 of chapter 1 says, is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. All right, so what comes out of a faith that's unfeigned? What comes out of a clear conscience? What comes out of a pure heart? You know what it is? Love. Jesus Christ said that they will know your, your Christians in John chapter 16 by what? By the love that you have, the love you exhibit, a real, genuine love. So unfeigned faith is expressed by and shown by love. By the way, it's not shown by a certain haircut, nor is it shown by a certain dress. It's shown by love. They have for believers and love they have for others. 
And you're a tired gentleman, I know, of hearing about love because that's all that Brother Umstead has been talking about now. And it's going on three years, I think. But that's because that's all that John's talked about in First John for a long time now. But quite frankly, people know you're a believer by your love. And we heard that this morning. John said it. And Paul said it. And so did Jesus Christ. They'll know you're Christians by the love they have for people. So let me ask you, Christian, do people know you're part of the family of God because you love God's people? Because you love fellow believers? Because you love your neighbor as yourself? These are all pictures to a world. They're not a picture to God. God knows whether he had faith or not. But there are pictures to a world that say, that's a real faith. Look at the love he has for people that have even wronged him or her. Faith is not just known by love. Go back to Acts chapter 16, would you? Acts chapter 16. You say, why go to Acts chapter 16? Because in Acts chapter 16, Timothy is introduced. Paul is going to take Timothy and go out on a missionary journey. So, what he talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, he observed in Acts chapter 16, and that's why he took him on the road. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's at the end of his life. He's at the end of his ministry. He's telling Timothy, I've observed this faith, and now here's what you need to do. He comes up at the end of chapter 4, preach the word, and gives all sorts of instructions. He is at the end. He is ready to be offered. The time of his departure is at hand. He's been working with Timothy for a long time. So what did he observe in, in Timothy? Well, look if you would in Acts chapter 16, because it says this. And then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Okay, but before you, you, you say, well, he says he's the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by their brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So what was it that stood out to Paul about Timothy that said, this man is a believer? You know what it was? It's not what we find in verse 2. Actually, it is. But it's what found in verse 1. You say, well, what is it? Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain, what's the word? Disciple. You know, you know what a disciple is? A disciple is a learner. A pupil. He's a student. He's a student of the book. He's a student of God's truth. He indicated his faith by his zeal to learn truth from God. He was a learner. He loved God's people. He was a learner of Bible truth. What about you? Do people know that you're part of the family of God because you love God's people and because you are a learner, you're a pupil, you are a learner of God's truth. You desire to learn truth from God's word. I'll tell you that is evidenced by, by whether you spend time in the Bible daily. It's evidenced by whether you go to church. Church saves someone, never has, never will. But church tells people what your relationship with God is like. It does. What is it like? What, would, what do people see? 
selfless living. He says in verse 2, he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. He had a good testimony. He, he, was, he was living right. So much so that the people could say, hey, hey, Paul, have you seen this guy? He's a disciple. He's a learner. Man, his life. You just look at what, what's going on. He was well reported. He had a good testimony. He was, he was living right. So he loved God's people. He was a learner. He was living in a right way. By the way, he was selflessly living because we found in verse 3 that Paul took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters. They knew his father was a Greek. He wouldn't be circumcised. And so here's a guy that does something intensely personal that had nothing to do with whether people would ever see on the outside that Timothy had been circumcised, and yet he did it because because it was more important to him to serve God and to have his life count and have a ministry for God than it was to stay the way his dad brought him up as a Greek. He was selflessly living for God. Those things tell people you're a believer. They do. And then leading others in truth. He says in verse 4, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. You say, well, Paul did that. Well, Timothy traveled with Paul. And by the way, First Timothy and Second Timothy is about, it's about how Paul left Timothy in Ephesus and let him do the same thing that they had been doing. See, Timothy taught other people truth as well. He was living his faith. He was just walking with God, so he had love. He was a learner of truth, and he desired to learn truth, and he longed to learn truth. He lived selflessly, and then he led others in truth. I, I asked you the question this morning. In the court of law, a lawyer will seek to give evidence that a man is either guilty or innocent. If, if we were in court of law today, would there be enough evidence that, that people could give to a jury that would convince them without a doubt you're guilty of being a Christian? Think about that. Would, would there be enough evidence in your life that you could convince a jury or that a lawyer could convince a jury that you are a Christian? Paul said about Timothy, I am persuaded. I'm convinced you're part of the family of God. And it was all because his life evidenced it. The last point is this. Faith ought to be taught. Faith ought to be taught. Faith ought to be seen, but faith ought to be taught. Where did Timothy get his faith? It didn't happen by accident. You know where it was first? You're told that it was first. It began. Grandma. Then mom, and you say, well, well, how do we know that that is what influenced Timothy? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would. Because right before we have a great passage about the inspiration of Scripture and how important it is to our lives, he says this to Timothy, and that, verse 15, from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Where did he hear it? You say, well, he heard it in church. I think that's true. There's no doubt they have it in church because people 
who are saved that have an unfeigned faith go to church. They want to learn. Well, you know where they have to be learning it as well. Because Paul's talked about these two and said, you have a real faith. And it's more important than your grandmother is what you. So there's there's no doubt. We, we can't ignore the fact that it involves family. Because if you're counting on the church to lead your kids right, you're making a terrible mistake. The church has a responsibility. This pastor has a responsibility. Every teacher has a God-given responsibility to teach your children truth. But God <coughs> does not excuse you. Every dad, every mom in this room has a God-given responsibility to instill in their children Bible truth. So here's a question for you this morning. Wow, challenging message. What are you doing to instill Bible truth in your kids? What are you doing to instill it in your grandkids as much as possible? If it's nothing, if there's no family time in the Bible, if, if there's, there's very little biblical instruction in your home, then, then today, would you learn from the admonition and would you learn from the encouraging statement of 2 Timothy chapter 1? And say, by your grace, God, I want people to be able to say that my grandchildren someday down the road are serving God because I live my faith before God. That should be your desire. You say, well, I've already passed that time. I don't have that opportunity any longer. Then, then why don't you ask God today to just give you opportunities to open the door, share Christ with others, and give God opportunities, or ask God to give you opportunities to invest in your grandkids or your great-grandkids. Because it's never too late to start obeying God. Faith ought to be taught. A number of years ago, Sunday School Times had a story about a young lady whose mother went to a Catholic church. The girl didn't attend. The priest didn't understand why, and he had a conversation with her, and it went like this. I want you to attend the religious instruction class that we have. And she said no. She said it was against her father's wishes. And the priest said she should obey him and not her father. And the girl said, oh, sir, we're taught in the Bible, honor thy father and thy mother. Well, not wanting to lose the argument, the, the, the priest uh, argued, you have no business reading the Bible. And she answer, answered, but sir, the Savior said, search the scriptures. Well, that was said to the Jews and not to children. You don't understand it, said the priest. Well, the little girl was standing her ground. And, uh, and, and, and so uh, Paul said to Timothy, she said, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Said the priest, Timothy was being trained to be a bishop. He was taught by the church authorities. And respectfully, she answered, no, sir. He was taught by his mother and his grandmother. It was found first in his grandmother and then his mother. The priest turned away and he was heard to be mumbling under his breath. She knows enough of the Bible to poison a parish. How much of the Bible do your children know? The testimony of Paul reminds every mother and father that we have a solemn task of instructing our family. Not just having them at church where the Bible is taught, 
for teaching the Bible in the home. And as God gives opportunity, because we're in that stage now, as we have opportunity, God's given us the job to instill it in our grandkids and someday our great-grandkids. And who knows how much longer we got great-great-grandkids because the, the job never ends. And that's what we find in this passage. Here's a young man who had faith. I was taught to him by a mom, taught to him by a grandma. And by the way, there's one other real encouraging thing in this passage. Is that you don't have to have both mother and father serving God in order to raise a child that serves God. I've heard somebody say, well, if my husband will live for God. He didn't have a dad that lived for God. As best we know, he's unsaved. We have no indication in Scripture that they were part of that he was part of the family of God. But yet, Timothy was serving God. Do you find challenge in that? I do. What lesson about faith did you need to hear today? The lesson that urges you to share the gospel to so people might be saved and families might be impacted. Generations, perhaps. The truth that faith can be faked and, and being born into a certain family or claiming something doesn't make you a believer. You need to put your trust in Christ. The challenge that faith is useless to fellow men unless it's lived or observed. Do your children know you're part of the family of God and do other people know it? And then lastly, are you teaching your faith? Do your children know the Bible? Is there a time daily where you take time to just instill Bible truth? Timothy had that blessing made him a believer that could be used in the Lord's service. And those are just four challenges we get from this legacy of faith that had been passed on. And I hope they'll challenge you today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.